0: following is a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach with Pastor Bill Welsh. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com. Pardon me as I read this uh, announcement to you. Um, it's kind of a, a spinoff of uh, something that I posted this Thursday on my, uh, on my Instagram post. But I posted up on my Instagram on Thursday something that and I've never had this experience before. I've been on social media for a number of years. But as I was about to press the send button, I felt like a little trembling in my hand, not a little shaking, but like just a feeling, a sensing that God was saying to do this and knowing how some people might feel about what I had to share there. And uh, But I knew that it was an invitation from God to say something at a time where I think it needs to be said. And so I'm going to read this. You okay with that? I still have a little bit of jet lag left and I don't want to wander as I am prone to do. Um, They wrote that song for me, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I really do, especially now. But in all seriousness, please, please, please get registered and vote. That's not all that I have to say, but get registered to vote in this upcoming election. We're living in a critical moment in US history and we all know it. Um, and, And what I said in the post as I put it up was this, said, this post will be controversial to many of you, offensive to some of you, and welcomed by most of you. We're living in one of the most volatile and violent eras of US history. Abortion activists are raging in the public square determined to preserve the right to kill the unborn. Violence is filling the streets of major American cities coast to coast. We see it all the time on the news, the evening news. And I looked up and lost my place. At the same time, our government under the current Biden administration is seriously encroaching upon parental authority in the education of our children, allowing radical, gender-confused activists disguised as teachers and drag queens to violate the conscience of children as young as five years of age in kindergartens as they groom them for their moral agenda. As followers of Jesus, we are called to do more than merely attend weekly services and sing sweet songs to... And about Jesus, behave and believe and be nice and hope everything turns out okay for our confused, embattled, and beloved nation. We're called to stand up and we're called to speak up. Now, here's the controversial and possibly offensive part, especially because I'm a pastor speaking this during one of our regularly scheduled gatherings here at Refuge. Voting is a small but crucial part of us raising our voices, but voting in a way, voting in a way that is most likely you're more likely to assure that our vote will actually be counted. I encourage you, and this is the part that's just my opinion, I encourage you to vote in person, not by mail. But when we vote, we must not merely vote emotionally. We must vote intelligently with a biblically informed conscience. We've heard We have heard it said that elections have consequences, and they do, but I do not believe that any landslide victory against the current radical liberal agenda will turn this nation around on a dime. I just don't believe that that's the key. I believe that the preaching of the gospel is the key, but I do know that it is time for Christians to resist the drift in our culture, personally and politically. We will not take to the streets with reciprocal violence, but we must nonetheless fight this battle. First, we must pray. And then we must research each candidate every proposition and every ballot issue, and I'm going to put up on the screen a few conservative and fair online voter guides, and I'll say just a little bit about them. I really like the iVoter Guide. It just takes all the candidates, and it shows you where they stand by their own admission if they have the courtesy to fill out the form that it evidently is given to them. They show you where they stand on all the issues, for or against. So the iVoterGuide.com is a great one. Nancy's picks are, as it the, the name intimates, intimate, it's what, so whatever the right word is there, suggests Nancy's guides is Nancy's ballot already you know filled out. Now, that's kind of the lazy way to go into the ballot booth, but if you want to, to look at how she feels, you can look there. CraigHuey.com is another good one, but I love the iVoter guide. But then, once we've researched, we've got to vote. So register, and the, the, the registration table um, will be up again next week out in the foyer, And we'll help you get registered if you're not registered. So get registered after the service next week. And again, we must keep praying. Uh, we need to have regular prayer gatherings of refugees seeking God for his mercy over the nation that he's called us to touch for him. And I'm not just talking about official prayer gatherings that, that we all put together as, as a staff here. We'll have some of that. But if you've got a, a time where you get together with another couple and they're over for dinner, you're out for whatever, why doesn't somebody just say, hey, let's pray for our nation and take some time to just you know, burrow into that and pray. One last word. As a pastor, as your pastor here, if this is your home fellowship, as your pastor called to speak the truth of God's word into this wonderful congregation, as well as our culture, I will not apologize or shy away from identifying evil for what it is, whether it be personal or... (laughs) Whether it be personal or political or cultural or educational, or moral or spiritual as Paul did in Colossians we'll see that today and i pray that i'll be found faithful before god and before you and may god give me and our leaders here courage and compassion and clarity to represent him in these dark days of our human history and by the way i'm not joining anybody's club i haven't finally come to climbing on anybody's bandwagon, whether that's Pastor Jack or Pastor Joe or Pastor James or Pastor John. Why do they all have J's in front of their name? Great brothers, all of them. But every pastor has to hear from God for the congregation he allows them to lead under his lordship. And I'm just trying to be obedient to God as I pastor Refuge Huntington Beach along with Pastor Jeff and the team that he's blessed us with here. So I want to thank my friend, and I don't know if my friend is here today or not, but my friend George Cook, who many of you know, he's, he and his uh, lovely wife Sally have been a part of Refuge for about as long as we've been here. I want to thank him for passing a book to me last weekend while I was deeply jet-lagged. And when he'd given it to Joy, and he came and told me, hey, I've, I've left an Eric Metaxas book for you. And when he said Eric Metaxas, I thought, I like Eric Metaxas, but his books are as big as a dictionary. And I, I told George in my jet lagness, I said, George, I'm probably not going to read that book. But I will get the Audible, and I'll listen to it. I will get the Audible, and I'll listen to it. I just knew me, a 500-page book, I'm probably not going to read it. I'm going to start a blog that is uh, big little books because I love little books. Um, but I told him I probably won't read it, but I'll listen and I'll be honest with you. I have listened to it. I'll be honest with you though. It bugged me that the author, obviously very passionate about getting his message out, decided to publish it in the most expensive form that he could, which was hard copy, twenty-two to twenty-nine dollars. Um, so that, and I'm saying that is just me. Um, instead of, you know, a a paperback or maybe free digital download. But again, that's just me. But the content challenged me and it challenged me greatly. I I can't say that I endorsed everything Eric Metaxas said in in the book. I'm not sure I endorse everything I say from week to week. But But I believe at at some points he was a little maybe on the unfair or the harsh side at points. But again, I've been that way too. But I do recommend the book. And and no, it's not the 67th book of my Bible, but I encourage you to maybe pick it up and read it. It is a thin book, by the way. This book, it says at the very top, this book is, is like a bucket of cold water thrown into the face of a sleeping church. So you get the set of which way it's going. Well, I closed my Instagram, Facebook on Thursday with two verses from Proverbs chapter 24. And I want to ask you to read them with me off the screen. And then we're going to read something from Psalm 33. And then we're going to pray for our nation. Let's read. Solomon said, rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts, and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you new. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. I've heard this quoted many, many times in the last 25 to 30 years about the evil of abortion. God knows that we know, and he calls us to do something, say something, and be something in the midst of all this. Well, I'm going to end this portion of our time together with a few verses from Psalm 33, verses 10 to 20. And if you would stand up with me, let's read these verses together. And then I'll pray. Here we go. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. and our shield. Would you pray with me? Father God, I come to you with my family here. And Lord, it's an honor to serve and be a part of this family of yours. And we're asking you, Father, for your grace and your mercy over our nation. We pray for an awakening. God, we've prayed for revival in our land for years. And God, I believe that you're calling your church to revival. You're calling us, Lord, to maybe wake up and realize the impact we can have for you here without getting nasty, without getting mean, without becoming caustic, Lord, by speaking your truth. So would you revive your church? Would you awaken this land? And Father, would you just pour out your grace in such a way that barriers really do start coming down, that walls start coming down as we sang, Lord, and miracles of of conversion happen, Father, that it's nothing that any man or team of men could ever organize and put together. But Father, would you just roll over America and grant repentance, God, forgive us for our sins as a nation, Lord. Forgive us for allowing how many decades of the taking of the life of the unborn and letting it happen. Oh God, I pray that you would fill us with your love, fill us with your word, fill us with your spirit, Lord, and fill us with compassion. And send us into this city, into this state, into this nation, and around this world with the beauty of the gospel that will bring change. And we ask you this in Jesus' name, Father. And everybody said, Amen. 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 As long as you're standing, grab your Bible, open to Colossians, and take a look at verse 8 through 10 with me. We continue looking at Colossians on this focus that it's all about Jesus. It is Jesus, 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 all about Jesus. Today, we're going to find out that in him, you are more than enough. You have more than you even need. So let's look at verse 8 read with me if you like. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Father, thank you for all that we have in Jesus. And I pray that our hearts would be open right now, Lord, to the ministry of your word in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, please. How many of you have ever been dissatisfied with the hand that you were dealt in life? <laughs> How many of you have ever said anything like this? Oh, I wish I was stronger. Oh, I wish I was faster. I, I've told you this recently. I can't even outrun my 16-year-old granddaughter. And that started when she was eight years old. I couldn't pass her out. Seriously, it, it did. Eight years ago. I remember the moment at the park. man. How many of you wish you were smarter? How many of you wish I was smarter? Come on, be honest, I do. A better reader, maybe more focused. How many of you wish you were less ADHD? Yeah, it's just, it's me, it's just I can't control that. That's why I, I, I struggle to, to, to read great big books. I know, I love a great big book, but I struggle, I, I even have a struggle focusing on a memory verse card. That's almost too much to hold my attention for a while but how many of you wish you were athletically more gifted than, than you were? Uh, like Pastor Jeff. You know, Pastor Jeff is a champion. We sang about champions. He's a champion on the baseball team that he played on in uh, in high school over here at Fountain Valley. They won the CIF championship one year. And he doesn't brag about that. Man, if that was me, it would be on our bulletins every week, <laughs> most likely. But he's so humble about it. His name is in the uh, Fountain Valley High School Hall of Fame over there. We should do a field trip over there someday and just (laughs) see it. And light little candles, you know, to, no, going too far. But I, I love sports. I just never excelled in them. I was always active, but I went out for almost everything. I went out for Little League. When I was a little boy and this, I'll never forget this one year, I got my picture in the Claremont County Sun, which was the newspaper for the whole county just to the east of Cincinnati. And, and here's how it happened. I showed up for the opening day. And I was helping catch the ball, you know, when I was coming back to the coach who was doing the pitching. And uh, I think he reached out, and it went off his glove and right into my nose, and I got a bloody nose, and I ended up on the front page of the paper laying down on a bench. So that's, that's my, my fame there, yeah. That's me. That's me right here. I went out for the, uh, the, the basketball team at Monroe Junior High School, and I, w- I was on the team two years, and they never put me in one game. Thank you. Thank you. More... These guys are ahead of you on the compassion over here. Yeah. But, uh, there was one time and I I was, I was on the track team. I did not excel, but, uh, my friend Mike and I showed up at a, uh, kind of an invitational. Anybody wants to come and compete. It was at new Richmond high school. And so we went down and we entered a couple of competitions and I entered this one race and I came home second place. I got the red ribbon and Mike and I went to my house and I went in bragging about it. And Mike had to go ahead and tell my mom, but there were only two people in the race. (laughs) That ribbon, I've got it somewhere. I still compete in everything that I do. Uh, even in personal exercise, whether it's kayaking or or cycling or walking, I just want to win. It's a competitive spirit. And, and, and and I, when I walk, I, I walk as fast as I can. And, uh, we were in Jerusalem on the, uh, on, on the traditional tour one night. And I said, hey, after dinner, if anybody want, wants to walk into the city with me, we'll go into the city. We'll go down to the Western Wall, and we'll check out the, you know, the, there's this one place where there's this um, sort of uh, orthodox, not rabbi, but looks like a rabbi, and he's playing guitar, and he's singing. It's kind of a cool thing. And so we did that. But on the way in, I hear a voice behind me. It was Janice Blake, who serves out at our counter. She said, Pastor Bill, could you slow down just a little bit? And it, it felt good to know that I was pressing the envelope there. <laughs> but, um, but most of us wish that we were a little more this or a little more that. But for those of you who are in Christ, can I see the hands of those who are in Christ? Let me tell you something. In Christ, I have great news for you. You who have genuinely received Jesus, you're trusting him as your Lord and your Savior. You've not only prayed the prayer, but when you prayed that prayer, you meant it, and you transferred the rulership of your life, the control of your life to Jesus. And that makes you a Jesus people. He literally now, he lives in you. Amazing news for you. He lives in you. Listen to this. He loves you. As if you were his most loved child. And, and if God has a cell phone, he's got my picture on, on the front of it. And he's got your picture on the front of it. Gail Irwin used to say, if God has a wallet, my picture's in it. My picture's on his desk. He loves you like an only child. He loves you passionately. And you're going to love this. In him, you have everything you need absolutely everything. You are complete in him. You still can't outrun my granddaughter, Abby, or my grandson, Micah, but you've got everything you need to live the life and do the work of God that he wants you to do. You are unquestionably gifted by Jesus Christ, who literally lives in you now. You have more Than enough. So let me see again. Can I see the hands of the Jesus lovers? Keep them up there. Keep them up there. Now turn to somebody whose hand is up in the air like a flag saying, yes, I love Jesus. Look them in the eye and tell them you have more than enough. Far more than enough. You're complete in him. Well, in verse eight, where we got to start this morning, this section starts with a warning about three common destructive pitfalls. It's kind of an extension of, of what Pastor Jeff shared last week, where he talked to us about watching out for deception that comes from persuasive words. And he talked about these words to define what these persuasive words were. They're clever, carefully crafted, logical, meant to move you in the wrong direction. Move you. In, I, I remember a time in my life when I was 16. I know exactly how old I was. I was, I was 16. And we were living in Paramount. Up there on uh, on on Orange Boulevard, Orange and Alondra, just above the corner of Orange and Alondra, right across the street from the Brethren High School that used to be there, in in a row of apartments that were full of moms and their kids. Not a lot of dads in there, but lots of moms and lots and lots and lots of kids. And one night, I was working with the the son of the manager of this apartment house, and. Um, We were moving furniture from one apartment to another and just all over the place. I had a lot of work to do. And he said, hey, if you want to make some money, come and help me. So I did. And probably about 11 o'clock or midnight, he said, you know, I'm getting really tired. How are you? I said, yeah, I'm tired too. I thought he was going to say, go on home. We'll start tomorrow. He said, no, hey, jump in my car. Come on, let's go for a ride. We drove to another neighborhood in Paramount. And he said, stay in the car. So I did. He went in. He came out with a roll of, of bennies. Anybody remember the term bennies? Benzerine whites were the uppers, the reds were the downers. And that was the beginning of my journey deep into a very destructive life. It came through persuasive words. Oh, come on. Because when he, when he brought him out and he said, hey, Bill, take a couple of these. I said, no, 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 I don't think so. He said, oh, no, it won't hurt you, man. It'll just give you the energy that you needed. And that instant buzz was, Whoo, can I have some more the next day? And then on and on and on. It started with those persuasive words. So what Paul is going to say here in what we've read, he's going to talk to us about watching out for certain things. And here it is. He's going to say, watch out for hollow, deceptive philosophy, extra biblical traditions of man, and the basic principles of this world that aren't in accord with Christ. I I, I love the the Amplified Bible's translation of the hollow, deceptive philosophy. It goes like this, pseudo-intellectual babble leading you in the wrong direction. See, I have a good friend who who has logically talked himself out of believing in and following Jesus. He was a pastor. He was an assistant pastor under his father, and he, he was set to take over the leadership of the church until he began to systematically talk himself out of believing in and following Jesus. And now he's determined to talk me and you out of following Jesus, too, with persuasive words. He has succeeded on a couple of his kids, and he's kind of excited that they're no longer following Jesus, and now he's working on his wife, too. And to him, it's just all based on logic. How can anybody with a brain believe any of this from the Bible, that Jesus on a cross would have any difference for you and I in this real world that we lived in? It's just his logic. Hitler had his logic, too. And Eric Metaxas talks about that in his book, and it was devastating. So Paul says, watch out, beware, because the demolition crew is on the prowl day after day after day, human and demonic at the same time. Now, how many of you remember Chip and Joanna Gaines? I mean, who doesn't remember Chip and Joanna Gaines? What was the name of the show? Fixer, Fixer Upper. And, and, and what was Chip's favorite day? Demo. Demo Day. He said, oh, I love Demo Day. <laughs> And pay tell you, there's somebody else with a smile on his face that loves Demo Day too. And he's doing all he can to demolish your faith and to, as they say today, deconstruct your faith. Every time I turn around, someone else is deconstructing their faith. And let me say something. Some of that is not bad to ask yourself, why do I believe this? And, and why do I do this? Why why do we function this way when we come to church? And why do I believe that Jesus Christ really is the Lord? Does the Bible really say that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Does it say he really is the only pathway to heaven? Why should I trust that old book? And why do we do church the way that we do? Well, Paul is saying, don't let the deconstructors replace your vibrant faith in Jesus with these pitiful substitutes. Hollow, deceptive philosophies. Philosophy. There's nothing wrong with philosophy. You know, philosophy is a good thing. You know what it means? You know what the word philosophy means? Two words slammed together. Philo is the word for what? Love. Sophie is what? Maybe a, somebody you went to high school with, right? Sophie is wisdom or the wise one. So, so it's the love of wisdom. Who doesn't love wisdom? But it's the worldly wisdom uh, that, that is, is is so deconstructed into just basically it comes down to believe whatever works for you. And so Paul is saying, watch out for this these deceptive philosophies. Colossians 2, 3 says, Jesus is the sum of all wisdom. The source of all wisdom is in him. Wisdom without Jesus leads to a dead end. And that's what Paul said, in Second Timothy, he said, talking about people who were always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, always chasing down another little philosophy stream, until it until it destroyed them. You know, it was it was probably twenty something years ago. And, and I, I found myself maybe even studying in Colossians I thought I want to take a look at just sort of a, a thumbnail view of the, the flow of philosophical thought through the years. So I went, of course, over to Barnes and Noble and I'm browsing through the philosophy section and I was looking for a book that was, was just kind of a, an intro to philosophy. But in the course of doing that, I, w- I was looking at all of these books by well-known philosophers. Now, you don't have pictures, you have paintings and and sculptures of uh, Socrates, Plato and Aristotle and there's so many others from the ancient world. But when you got into the the more modern times, there were lots of pictures of these philosophers and you know what they all had in common? Not a single one of them had a smile on their face. None of them showed any sign that their, their grasp of philosophy had filled them up and given them joy of any kind. And I thought, do I really want to study this stuff? If it's going to leave me, abandon me like that. But Paul is saying, watch out, because the sum of all wisdom is found in Jesus. And Jesus, or wisdom without Jesus, it just leads to a dead end. Secondly, he talks about these extra biblical traditions, whether they be religious or secular traditions. It's good to question our traditions, I think. It's good to examine them and ask the questions, why do we do this? And and just for a sample, there's two things that we do by tradition. Well, you're here by tradition. It's Sunday morning. You're a follower of Jesus. Do you know where most followers of Jesus show up on a Sunday morning? They show up somewhere like this. Why do we do that? Why do we do this on a Sunday morning? I can't find any place in scripture that says, Thou shalt assemble on Sunday mornings. But it's just become traditional. That's when we do it. And it's pretty traditional that when we get together. Somebody's going to come up and smile at us and tell us, Hey, welcome. And they're going to pray. And they're going to tell you to greet one another. Then we're going to sing three or four songs. And then we're going to have the announcements. And Pastor Bill did a really long announcement this week. And then, and then we're going to get into the word of God. We're going to study his word. And after that, there might be an invitation to come to Jesus. But after that, he's going to pray. And then after that, we're going to sing. And then if anybody wants communion, it's just the way that we do it. It's the way that why do we do that? No, you don't have to to do it in that way. The Bible does say, make sure that you get together with one another. But not all traditions are bad. We even have prayer traditions, don't we? How many of you were raised in a in a, a, a religious tradition or a Christian tradition, where before you prayed you did this? Say it with me: in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the. Oh, which way do I go? How many of you wondered when you were first learning this which way to go? You and you went in the in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then what? And then what? 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 Amen. Right. Why do do so many Christians do that? Can you find that anywhere in scripture? It's a reminder that we come to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And and then you end your prayer that way, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you cross yourself again. Do you know that when, when the church split and I don't know if this is the exact time when it happened, but after the church split into the Eastern and the Western church, which became the, the Western Orthodox, became known as the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox is like Romanian Orthodox and other Orthodox on, off, off in the East, that they wouldn't even do the, the sign of the cross the same way. So if you were Orthodox, anybody here raised in, in an Orthodox tradition? Especially if you're in Europe, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit. It was just a traditional way to do that. And then at the end, we say, in the name of Jesus, we'll pray. Why do we do that? Uh, I challenge you, find one prayer in the New Testament that ends in the name of Jesus. It, It doesn't. So, so why do we do that? Is it wrong to pray in Jesus' name? Of course it's not wrong to say that at the end of our prayers or to say amen after you say that. But again, the scripture doesn't tell us to do that. It does say when you come before the Lord, you ask in my name, Jesus said. What does that mean? Was he saying just tack those three words on the end of your prayer? No, he was saying ask on my behalf. Ask in order to do my work. Whatever you want, ask, but ask for it in my name. I I shared this with you before when I was working as a plumber he would often send me my boss would often send me to the the plumbing supply house and he said just put it on my account ask in my name I didn't stand there and make it a tradition that I ask in the name of Don Nui, please for these supplies I just said I work for Don Nui and this is for his work and Jesus said, ask in my name. Okay, traditions. They go on and on and on. Why do we do communion the way that we do? I, I remember, and again, this is probably 23 years ago in the other building, and we were doing communion. And um how many of you find it really hard to believe that I talked too long this one night? And so we kind of felt rushed as we were doing communion at the end. And I said, we're going to pass out both the cup and the bread at the same time. So take them as it comes around instead of, you know, the ushers going around two times, and which is the way that we do it now. But uh, somebody was so offended at that. They said, that is, they came up to me and said, that's not the way you do communion. And if you ever do that again, I'm going to tell Pastor Chuck that you did this this way traditions traditions you wonder how some traditions started but the sad thing about a religion that is steeped in tradition even versions of christianity that are based on these traditions is that you never get untethered from the traditions the traditions become the thing if you didn't do it and do it that way instead of jesus being the thing And the word of God itself being the thing. You never get to walk free of the strings if it's always tethered to the traditions. Third one here is these basic principles of the world. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 to 9, here's what Paul said to that church. He said, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to these elementary principles of the world. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He said, why would you go back to just principle, principles, principles? Now, the Bible's full of Principles. But the main thing is not the principle. The main thing is the person of Jesus. That's the prize in, in the middle of this whole wonderful relationship with God is that it is Christ. Why go back to just living by the principles, whether they be spiritual or philosophical or worldly notions about how someone should live? We have more than the principle. We have the person of Jesus. And in him, we have it all, all we need, and we have more than enough. And Paul explains, look at the next verse, verse nine. Paul says this, he says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. I love this. You are complete in him. Who's the head of all principality? In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form. So you're looking at Jesus, and even in his bodily form, this is absolutely true that Jesus contained all the fullness of God. And that tells me something. This is the same God that creates when he speaks, this is the same God who can't be beat. This is the same God that a legion full of angels could not take down. And I see Jesus in his bodily form submitting himself to the base treatment of some wicked people so that even in his physical form, Jesus showed amazing restraint in the days of his flesh. How many of you remember the old, the old hymn, Um, I don't know that we've ever sung it here, but I've heard it in other churches. He could have called 10,000 angels. Remember that? He could have called 10,000 angels. Well, that's true. He could have. And they would have come in a heartbeat. But he didn't need to call any angels. He had the power in himself to deal with whatever came against him. He could bowl them over in a heartbeat. And yet he submitted himself to unbelievable treatment. Shameful, painful treatment. You see, Jesus giving himself. I don't see Jesus fighting them as they're trying to put his fists down on the cross. I see him laying them out and letting them do what they did. When we were on the the last Israel tour, I get up early in the morning and I, because I'm jet lagged, and I go out and I walk. And I got out this morning, I'm walking by myself in the area of uh, Magdala or Migdal. And I'm walking down this road by an orchard, and the orchard was bordered by some bougainvillea plants. And um, beautiful, beautiful, full of color at that time of the year. And I do, as I often do, uh, I'll snap off a long twig and make something like that up on the cross, a crown of thorns, with the beautiful you know, foliage on it and the, and the flowers are on it. And, uh, and, and I made it, and I thought, I wonder what that feels like to have that on your head. So I put it up on my head. I just g- gently put it up on my head, and then I pressed it down, just a little harder. And thought, "Oh my gosh, that's uncomfortable. That's irritating." I didn't drive it down around my brow, and the back of my head, and over my ears. But they did that to Jesus. Then how could he? How could he let them do that? It was love that kept him there. He had the power to end that nonsense. But then you wouldn't be saved, and you wouldn't have more than enough. Because of what Jesus endured for you, there's the crown that I made that day. Actually made a couple of them, passed them around the bus as we were driving away from Migdal that day. But in the beginning, the Bible says this. John, when he writes about this same theme, listen to him. He says, in the beginning, would you read this with me? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He says, so when you're seeing Jesus, you're seeing God, not just a cool dude, but you're seeing, you're seeing God in Christ. And then he explains further down in verse 14 says, the word became flesh and his made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the own, the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John says, when we saw him, and maybe this is in retrospect, said, so when we saw him, you know what we were seeing? We were seeing the glory of the one and only son who was full of the fullness of the father, who came from the father, overflowing with this grace and this truth. It's always, it's always puzzled me that when John said, we saw the glory of God, and let me explain it to you, that he didn't say, we saw him open the eyes of the blind. He tells about that in his book. But in this little definition, he said, we saw the glory of God, and, and, and it wasn't the lepers were cleansed, and he walked on water, and he was transfigured before us. He said, we saw him full of grace, compassion, and full of truth. He had more than enough, and so do you and him. So when, we, when you saw Jesus, you were seeing the Father. And when you feel and hear and sense and are led by the Spirit of God like He is attempting to lead all of us every day on the steps that we take, when you, when you sense that leading of the Spirit, you're encountering the Father and the Son and the Spirit and you cannot separate them. You can look at different definitions of Father, Son, and Spirit, but you can't separate them without doing damage. It's the Godhead altogether revealed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, ladies, you can undo the braid in your hair without doing damage, but you cannot undo this beautiful triad of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just marvel at the beauty of it, and marvel at the mystery of it, and embrace it. It's just powerful. So Jesus carried the fullness of God in a human body. Now here's where it gets so personal and so powerful. In verse 10, look at that one more time with me. He says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. I don't want to overload you with Greek because I don't understand a whole lot of Greek. But I do know this, that the word that's used in verse 9 for the fullness of the Godhead in Christ. Everybody say fullness. And complete. The word complete. You are complete in him. Everybody say complete. They're the same Greek word. One is a verb form. One is the noun form. You have the fullness you have the fullness more than enough, the fullness of God that was in Christ it was pleiret it just was this overflowing fullness like a you know like what happens when you put the the pot on the stove and you have some of you have those fancy kitchens where you got the the faucet right on right over the stove and you're filling up the great big spaghetti pot and you walk away and you forget it and it's more than enough and that's a damaging more than enough that the same idea this overflowing of all that God was and he says not only that was Jesus full of the fullness of God but you are complete with an overflowing supply of all God has for you to do all that he wants you to do. You're complete in him. I don't even know how to respond to that truth. I really don't. It's just like, bam, it hits you in the face and like, really, God? Me, Bill, who feels so bad about what I don't have sometimes and wish that I was smarter and wish that I was more focused and wish that I could outrun my granddaughter and wishes this and that, that really, God, I have enough. I have all that I need. I have an overflowing supply of whatever you want to give me. Absolutely. I am complete in Christ, just like you are. I don't know how to respond to that. I really don't, but I'm going to borrow a response from Caleb Warwick, who runs our Sunday night ministry. Is Caleb in here? Today, is Caleb here? I, I borrow this from Caleb unashamedly. I was watching him on Monday night while he was preaching on Sunday night on the second of the month. And um, and it was really great. At this one point, he makes this statement and I copied it down exactly as he, as he said it. But he said, Jesus, and he's got this breathiness about him when he's teaching and I love that. He says, Jesus actually takes pride in inheriting us. And he paused, and then he said, that's wild. And I love that. And he said it three or four more times. That's just wild. It is wild. And this is wild, that I am complete in Christ. I have more than enough. That's wild. And it's and it's wonderful. And I love that. I'm complete in him. We have all that we need for the rest of our lives. We have more than enough. In fact, uh, John, when he writes his little letter, First John, look at what he says about who we are right now. Cooperate with me. Go. Go. It says, it says no to me. There you go. First John 4. 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Read this with me. Because as he is, so are we in this world. That's wild. Is that true? Is that true? As Jesus is, so are we in this world. I've got all that I need to serve God. I don't have to be envious of of Jeff's abilities. I don't have to be envious of any other preacher's abilities. Or any, any other singer's abilities? I have what I have from God, and, and it is more than enough. You have everything you need in Jesus, everything you need in Jesus. You don't have to go looking for it. It's there. How, how many of you have ever been involved in a project at home, your own fixer-upper, which made you call the, the professional fixer-upper to fix up your fixer-upper mess? Have you ever done that? But you're in the middle of this project, and, oh, I need this tool i got to have this particular drill. i got to have this chisel. And you know you've got it. Am I, talking your, am I telling your story? I know I've got it, but I can't find it. So what do you do? Home Depot. Let's go to Home Depot. First, so The first project is once I'm at Home Depot, finding somebody that can actually help me once I'm there. Um, but then once I find somebody and I get the tool and I go back and I do the fixing and the project is done and I go to put it away. And where do I put it? right next to the one that I already had and it was there all the time. That's the case here. You're complete in him. It's in the toolbox. Everything you need to do what God has called you to do, you already have it. You have every tool you need. And you go back to, to John in verse 16. I didn't put it up on the screen, but Paul says it like, John says it like this. He says, of his fullness, we've all received. We've received the overflow of his fullness, every single one of us. I, I don't think this is saying that that uh, that that we have everything in us that Jesus had in him. That would make us God, then wouldn't it? But we have everything we need. And my brother and my sister, you're not lacking in any gift from God to do anything he calls you to do. You have it. It's all there. And that is wild, and that is wonderful. What's so wonderful about all this? That's what the rest of the chapter is all about. And you're not going to believe how quickly I do this, trust me. But in, in verse 11 down through verse 23, here's what you're going to see. Let's look at it together. Verse 11, it says this. In him, you're going to see this phrase over and over. In him, in him, in him, in him. Look at what you have in him, already accomplished. In him, you also were circumcised. That sounds painful. With the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You know what circumcision was? Circumcision would put a boy... In the place where he was ready to be the covenant keeper in his home when he grew up to be a father, and he had his own, he had his own people, his own family, and the dad would carry, excuse me, the dad would carry the covenant blessing that came from circumcision. It put him in in, um, in covenant with God, and 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 uh, Paul says Jesus did that for you in the cutting of His flesh. He's the covenant one. Jesus carried us into the covenant with God. In verse 12, it says, buried with him. There it is again, with him. In baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So in Jesus, we were buried, and the fear of death is now gone for us, because death is really an unreality for the child of God. It's just a transference from here to there, and it happens like that in a moment, and they'll put my body in the grave, or they'll burn it, and I don't care what they do with it, because I will not be dead. I will just move from here to heaven, and I'll be present. Why? Because Jesus took the death. Jesus beat death to death on my behalf and on your behalf, and you don't have to fear death anymore. You're free from the fear of death. Verse 13 through 15, because he keeps stacking these together. He says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive. He did it. He made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. In other words, we couldn't keep these, these laws. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Isn't that just kind of like flipping the stone there? They thought they had Jesus down and out, and the cross is what? Forever the cross says to the devil, and to you, and to death, you lose. He made a spectacle of it. That's where the victory took place. So verses 13 to 15, he's conquered death through us. He has conquered death forth through Jesus Christ. In verses 16 to 17, it goes, it goes on like this. He says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are all holy days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So he's saying, don't let anybody judge you anymore over religious issues. Don't you live beyond the judgment of the world and you live there in Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone judge you anymore over religious rituals. Where were you? Why weren't you there on the service? Why weren't you? Oh, you only come on Christmas and Easter. You're a CE Christian. Why? Why weren't you there? Why didn't you pay up? And why didn't you? Why weren't you in the ceremony? He says that's all nonsense, and it's gone now. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody judge you over those customs and traditions. And then verse 18 and 19, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the mystery from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Next thing he says is don't let anybody drag you into weird spiritual experiences that they don't even understand themselves. Like worshiping angels and even worshiping saints and all the while minimizing the truth of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Free from the need for other weird spiritual nonsense because the fullness is found in Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. No substitutes or secondary junior saviors because Jesus is enough. And the last one, verse 20 to 23. I told you this would be quick. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Don't touch that. Don't taste that. Don't handle that. Which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and the neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. He's just simply saying, don't go back. Refuse to go backward to powerless rituals and powerless philosophies. Cling to Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Jesus is the thing. That's a terrible way to say it, but Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is the source. And in Him, you have it all. Don't go back to the traditions. Don't go back to the worldly philosophies. Don't go back to that stuff that never filled you up in the, in the first place. And one more powerful truth when we say, I have more than enough in Jesus Christ, that includes what I have in him that is sitting before me right now. I, yes, I have Jesus, but I have you, and you have me. That might not be comforting to you that you have me. I'm not saying I have you as a congregation that sits here and listens to me, blah, 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 blah. I'm not talking about that. I have you as a source. You have me as a source. See, to to tell somebody that you have everything that you need in Jesus and that's it can can sometimes lead someone to think, well, I don't need anybody else and I'm just going to go hang out in the desert all by myself. And you miss the blessing of this. You miss the blessing of the body. You miss those encounters that are healing to you and strengthening to you and restorative to you in one another because something of Jesus is in me and something of Jesus is in Jim. And when we get together and we exchange thoughts and prayer and and compassion for one another, something happens and we get stronger. How many of you have sensed that in true Christian fellowship? Unscheduled true Christian fellowship. When you bump into somebody and you have a brief conversation, do you come away thinking, "Ah, I love that. I feel stronger. Yes, sometimes, sometimes. It's the touch that happened the moment you got saved. And for some of us, everything changed. But for some, they need to sit down with someone who can walk with them through the trouble. And that's exactly what I'm talking about today. That in Christ, we together as the family of God, we have more than enough to touch each other in a redemptive, strengthening, restorative way. And to me, that is just one of the most beautiful things of the family of God. Look around you. You need that person. We need one another. And I love those moments of fellowship that I get with my brother or my sister wherever that happens. I love those moments. This is a part of the fullness that we all get to experience. Yeah, Jesus is more than enough. And I often encounter that Jesus in a time of counsel in contact with you. And I'm so grateful for that. I so appreciate the body of Christ more than I ever have before. So we have enough to impact this crazy world. You can close your Bible up. I'm done. We have enough to impact this crazy, confused city that we live in and this confused state and nation and world. Right here. Everybody look up here. Right here. Nobody else needs to move to Tennessee. (laughs) Nobody else needs to move to Texas unless God tells you to go to Texas. If he says out of here for a while, that, that's fine. And, and the Lloyds are in, in Tennessee and the, the Acunas are in Tennessee and the Hadaways are in Tennessee and the Benowns are in Tennessee and so many, so many good friends. But you know, God wants to do a work right here and he wants to do it through you and he wants to do it through me. Are you ready for that? Because he's packed you full of himself and in him, You have enough. You have enough. That's part of what this all means. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is more than enough. And I love encountering him in you. So as we close today, I want to pray that, that you and I would be used in the power of his Holy Spirit to invade, you might not like this word, but invade and infect this broken state that we live in with love and truth and the power that comes from Jesus Christ. Are you ready to be a part of something like that? Let's just go do it. Let's pray together. I've asked the the worship team if they'd come out and sing one particular song. The song that says in it, I I am who you say I am. And he says you're enough. He says there is enough in you and there's enough in us. So we're going to sing that as we close. Can we stand together? And unless that clock up there is wrong, even having shared two messages with you today. I'm still seven or eight minutes ahead of normal time. You're saying, yeah, yeah, you are, Bill. You know. Oh, that gets an applause. Yeah, that I'm early. I'll take it wherever I can get it. Father in heaven, we're your people, and we, and we love you, and we love Jesus, and we love the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that that you've brought us into this place when we were empty, we were depleted, Lord, and now we're complete. Now we have everything that we need and more than enough, enough for an overflow, Father. And I pray, Father, for any that are in here this morning and any that are watching online in other parts of our country, in the world, that have never stepped into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe they've deconstructed their way out of it, Lord. And I pray that you would put a hunger in their heart that would bring them back to the completion and bring them out of that depletion, Lord, and fill them again as they surrender the control of their life to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for trusting us as you release us into this world today. In Jesus' strong name, Amen. Let's sing this song to him with some celebration in our hearts, okay? I'm going to turn this thing off and I'm going to sing it out loud with you. Let's worship Oh, I want to sing that champion part again. Can we sing that one more time? I I heard a I watched a little video from a guy on online one morning when I was walking around the park, and he said, "There's this one song and the church needs to stop singing. This song. It was this song. He said they got to stop singing this song because it's just not right to say when we open up our mouth miracles start breaking out. But what if you open your mouth and you speak the word of God? Miracles are going to happen when someone comes to believe. Miracles are going to happen when something changes in somebody's life. So I'm not, I'm not canceling this song. That's all right with you. We need to sing that again. Let's sing the champion part. And then you, champions in Jesus Christ, who are following the big C champion, let's go open up our mouths and speak his word and love people in his name. Let's sing that part of that one more time. This has been a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach with Pastor Bill Welsh. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com or call 714-891-9495.